so far in First Thessalonians, of course, is that Paul's been wanting to write and encourage them that they did the right thing when they turned their lives over to Jesus and uh, that this they're on the right track. And he's heard good news from Timothy, who's been recently to Thessalonica, as Paul is now down in Corinth in the southern part of Greece. And he's had a good report. And so he wants to encourage them. And he's, he's kind of taken them back uh, to their early days of conversion uh, through chapter 1 and 2. I don't know if you'll notice this, but the book basically goes from past to present to future in the way it runs through. So chapters 1 and 2 is a look back at their conversion and the people who brought them to Jesus and how authentic and how real and how dynamic that was, how much of God that was. How, how, and then chapter 3 is really about you know, the re- Timothy's visit and the report coming back. So it's really about the present. Chapter 3 and halfway through chapter 4 is about their present situation. Starting halfway through chapter 4, then, he starts looking to the future, looking to the return of Christ, and starts to explain in the passage we looked at previously, you know, how uh, there's a resurrection coming. And so even those believers who have died are not going to miss out when Jesus returns, uh, but uh, they're going to rise first. And uh, those who are left to remain when the Lord returns are going to join up with him as, as the Lord, be the welcoming committee for Jesus as he comes back. And so we have this promise of resurrection through Jesus when Jesus returns to meet the Lord in the air and say, welcome back, Lord Jesus. And, and so the whole of the letter, uh, actually, in some sense, is written in the light of this awareness of the second coming of Jesus Christ. And as we go through the letter, if we, and we did this last week, so I'm not going to repeat it, but he, we can look at all the texts along the way that refer to the second coming, to these events, and discover uh, that this is a day of, of wrath, of judgment. It's also a day of resurrection and life. And there's these two elements to the second coming of Christ. And so it, it's both judgment and mercy. And that's kind of how they have to live in the light of this second coming. Have you ever had a shocking moment of surprise when something happened that caught you totally unawares and freaked you out? So, uh, okay, so there was this uh, fish and chip shop owner in London, and he was uh, unpacking a box of fish, you know, uh, to get ready for the day, uh, for his day's trade, and frozen, you know, and, and so he thought the fish were all frozen and dead, and as he's unpacking his cod and all the other bits of fish, suddenly discovers right in front of him a live three-meter, 68-kilo conga eel and angry alive and angry in his box okay we got it back on so uh, i was surprised by that so so that would surprise you if an eel, a, a three-meter conger eel jumped out of your fish box as you were getting ready for the day's trade. Once uh, I was uh, preaching in Togo in West Africa, and uh, the, the place I was speaking at had, had been a mission. It was a, a training center for uh, youth for the mission, but it, it had previously been a, a, a mission station for, for a German mission, and it was on the side of a mountain, 
and it, right at the edge of the jungle. And uh, there were some buildings that were not being used. And so I was out there with a, with a couple of other guys. And, uh, when, uh, and so we thought we'd look through some of the old unused buildings just for fun. And uh, so as we, uh, we go into this old building, it's probably been there a century. And uh, as we're walking through, cobwebs everywhere and dust. And, uh, and it had these rafters across there. And as we're kind of in there, just looking at this old building, suddenly, uh, to my companion just in front of me, uh, a lizard about 15 inches long drops off the rafter right onto his shoulder and, uh, and then jumps off and scurries out. You can, there was a couple of yells that went on. Uh, there were a couple of yells that went on in that, in that building in Togo. Jesus is coming back, and it's going to be a big surprise for most people. It's going to be shocking, sudden. It's going to be so it won't, people won't be expecting it, but we can be ready for it. We can be ready for it. So our passage starts off concerning times and seasons, brothers. You have no need to have anything written to you. And... We've seen all this before in uh, in First Thessalonians, that Paul keeps on reminding them of things that they already know about, and it's it, it's it's he's not lying. They do know about these things, but it's also a form of rhetoric. That is a persuasion technique. He is taking them back to what he told them about before, reminding them of things that they might actually have forgotten about or aren't really aren't recalling as well as they should. How many of us know that we often need reminders of things, right? We just need reminding. We forget too easily. And so he says, you have no need for anything to write, anybody to write to you about this, and then he goes and writes about it. And, uh, and so again, that's a kind of rhetorical device. As I mentioned before, it's called paralipsis. It's a way of uh, just kind of gently easing into something uh, that they ought to know, but they don't really know as well as they should. And if you might remember then chapter 4, he says, as concerning love of the brothers, you don't need anyone to write to you. <laughs> For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And so there's that uh, the same kind of idea. And then he tells them to love one another more. So concerning times and seasons, brothers, when is Jesus coming back? I mean, that's a great question. You know, when I was first converted, I was at a college Christian group, and uh, there were, you know, it was very uh, full of eschatological enthusiasm, meaning everybody was saying that Jesus is coming back very soon. Don't bother going to study Bible college or theology school before you go into ministry because there's no time for that. Jesus could be back any day. And, uh, and so... It was full of expectation, and uh, people were saying, yeah, it'll probably be in the next couple of years. And so that's how alive we were. We had a kind of similar enthusiasm around the turn of the, turn of the, of the millennium, around the year 2000, when people were very enthusiastic about Jesus coming back. You know, after all, he should keep to our calendar, you know, of, uh, keep to round numbers. That would be good of Jesus to do that. And so a thousand years round number is, is important. And so uh, that would, he should do that. 
And so we always, and so every, people have been predicting Jesus coming back soon for decades, you know, ever since Jesus left and ascended. And everybody so far has predicted the date has got it wrong. So don't do that. Uh, you'll just be wrong like everybody else. But when is he coming back? And of course the answer is we don't know, but we do know that he is. And the Bible says, of course, in another place that he's coming soon, and that's true as well. But it's soon in God's calendar, not out. He says, you are fully aware of these things, you know, accurately, in verse 2, that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Well, this expression, the day of the Lord, is a common expression in the prophets, uh, in the Old Testament, it's the, it's the day of God's judgment. It's the day of God's justice. It's the day when God acts to fix the world, to put right what was wrong, to turn the, the world right side up, to judge the evildoers, to rescue the righteous. That's the day of the Lord, and it is near. And we see this a number of times in the prophets, and I, I won't read them all, but... Uh, for example, in Isaiah 13, he, he says this, Wail, for the day of the Lord is near, as destruction from the Almighty it will come. Or in Joel chapter 2, The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Or Obadiah, the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. But here's an interesting one. In Amos chapter 5, verse 18 Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light. The day of the Lord, the emphasis of the day of the Lord passages in the Old Testament is the coming judgment of God. It's not something to take lightly. This is a day of wrath as we saw in the first chapter of Thessalonians. It's a day of judgment. It's a day of justice. And... You know, there are so many people in our world who want justice. And that's absolutely right. We need justice. But if God was to judge all causes of injustice, where would we stand? In Malachi chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all arrogant, evil, and all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. And whenever we think of, you know, it's, it's just human, when we think about the justice that's needed in the world, about the judgment that's, that's needed, about the, uh, the need to fix all causes of evil, to to uh, turn this thing around, we tend to project that to everybody else and set them for us, right? We tend to think, okay, that day is coming. Those guys are going to deserve it. And so the day is coming, but it is, a, a, you know, it's going to be a both a day of judgment and of mercy. Uh, and, and so I think the Thessalonians are aware of, of this day coming and they're a bit concerned about it. And Paul has some good news for them. But first of all, he says it's going to come like a thief 
in the night. This actual expression, like a thief, by the way, that's kind of interesting rhetoric. The day is coming in the night. <laughs> you know, uh, it's a bit, he's having a bit of fun with this, I think. But it's going to come without warning when you least expect it, when you're sleeping, something is going to come. And Jesus had given this teaching. He said, stay awake for you don't know on what day your Lord is coming. Matthew 24, 42 to 44. And uh, he says, know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you must be ready also for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Uh, so Paul is echoing Jesus' teaching about, his, about Jesus' own return. This is one of those places in the letters of Paul where he is, you can hear an allusion to the teaching of Jesus. Peter picks up the same allusion. He says in 2 Peter 3.10, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Uh, and John in the book of Revelation says, uh, it does the same thing. Remember what Revelation 3.3, remember then what you've received and heard, keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. So very much a common New Testament theme based on the teaching of Jesus. And Paul says here, when they say peace and security, right, that's when it's going to happen. In other words, when you least expect it. When people are convinced that judgment and wrath is not coming. Uh, Back in Jeremiah and Ezekiel, you know, uh, they, both those prophets criticized uh, the prophets and the spiritual leaders of Israel for saying, look, it's peace when there is no peace. In other words, when judgment is coming, they just say, no worries. There's nothing to fear, nothing to be anxious about. You know, we all, perhaps you know your history of the Second World War, how Neville Chamberlain, the Prime Minister of Britain, went to visit Hitler and came away with a promise of peace right before the war started. And it was a false promise of peace. In the Roman Empire, at the time of, the Thessalon of, of this letter to the Thessalonians, of course, all of Greece was under the control of the Romans. And one of the one of the claims of, of, of the Roman Empire uh, was a claim to have established peace. They called it in Latin the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, uh, or the Roman peace. And this was a big boast on part of the, part of the Romans. We have established peace. And there was a sense in which there was, this was true, except for on the borders of the empire. But within the empire, you could travel freely from one place to another, and there was a, you know, they'd got rid of some of the pirates that used to cause problems in the Mediterranean. And they had, there weren't wars between the various nations within the Roman Empire most of the time, except when the Romans were fighting each other. <laughs> now, but even that was overcome by uh, the Emperor Octavian, who became called Augustus, uh, and in the first century B.C., and he established his Pax Romana, said a new age is upon us, and we the Romans have brought it into pass. But the Roman peace was a was a, a kind of strange peace because 
The Roman peace was when they beat the keys out of you, when they beat you up and said, now stop fighting because otherwise we'll just kill you and you stop fighting. Now we have peace. The Roman peace was when they conquered you and enslaved you and now we're not at war anymore. Isn't that good? We're at peace. (coughs) That's right, but you started the war. That was the Roman peace. It was a peace imposed by the Roman army uh, by conquering everybody that they wanted to conquer. And so it was a peace of a dictatorship. And so it had, but that's what they believed. And even the first century, you know, AD, the Romans were claiming in their rhetoric and in their public pronouncements that we have established peace in the world. And uh, Paul is writing to them saying, when people are saying peace and security, that's when it's going to happen. Sudden destruction will come upon them like labor pains upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. Uh, This word, by the way, in the Greek text here, which is the underlying behind the translation, uh, this word sudden is emphasize the way it's placed in the text and uh, one of the things that Greek does is if you pull a word forward from where it should be in the sentence put it further further forward it's a way of showing emphasis and that's what it does with this word Ifnidios uh, and it's 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 sudden destruction when they're saying peace and security like labor pains come to a pregnant woman is the, is the idiom here or the metaphor or the illustration. You know, there was a wo- I don't know if you read about this, but back in May, there was a woman uh, who had a baby on a plane. Uh, and here's the interesting thing. She didn't know she was pregnant. She, uh, she suddenly got stomach cramps during the flight, went to the bathroom and had a baby caught the baby herself as it came out, discovered at that point that she was pregnant. And she had not known. Now, fortunately, uh, when she called for help and, and they, they called for medical assistance, from is there a doctor in the plane? It turned out to be a medical doctor and three neonatal intensive care nurses uh, and who all looked after her. And it was a 29-week-old, you know, in, it was a 29-week born prematurely, uh, but she had no idea she was even pregnant. Suddenly, there's labor, there's pains, but she didn't even know were labor pains, and suddenly there's a baby. So uh, that's that's quite something. This is what's you know that's how quickly this is all going to happen when Jesus comes back. It's so sudden. And he says they people the people who say peace and security they will not escape. But <laughs> There is good news for believers. Because, and in fact, the point of this passage is to encourage the church. He's not downplaying the, the significance of the day of the Lord. He's not downplaying the weightiness of this day and the judgment that's coming. But he's saying there is good news. But you, he says in verse 4 and 5, are not in the darkness for that, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief for you are all children of the light, children of the day. This is good news. By the way, you see how Paul is playing with the language. 
the day of the Lord comes like a thief in the night. You're not in the darkness. You're sons of the light, sons of the day. He's mixing, these metaphors get mixed up a little bit. Brothers, meaning brothers and sisters, meaning believers, are not in darkness for that day to surprise you. In other words, the image is like a, a thief who comes in the night and breaks into your house. That's a surprise. You can't see him coming. But when Jesus comes back, it's going to be like a thief for the night for everybody except for who? Except for brothers and sisters in the Lord. Because although you may be surprised at the timing, you won't be totally shocked because you're expecting. You're expecting him to come back. You know, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8, he says to them, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. In the Lord. Walk as children's children of the light. What does he mean by being sons of the light, sons of the day, uh, or children of light, children of day in your translation? It's really the way that uh, in first century Greek and Hebrew idiom, uh, to be a son of something was to be characterized by something or to be in the realm of something. Uh, for example, Barnabas in the book of Acts is called a son of encouragement. Uh, not because his father was named encouragement, uh, but because uh, he was an encourager. He's characterized by, uh, by encouragement. That's who he is. And, uh, and so and Judas, who betrayed Jesus, was called a son of destruction, not because his dad was a destroyer, uh, uh, but because he acted in a destructive way. And not only that, he was destined for destruction. And so here you, Paul says to the Thessalonian believers, are children of the light and of the day. That's what characterizes you in a dark world. So that day should not surprise you like a thief coming in the night because you're, you know, what's night to everyone else is daylight to you. That is, Jesus has given... The world is living in darkness, but we're living in the light. And so that's why we're expecting Jesus to return. We know about this. And then he says it again in verses 6 and uh, 5, the end of verse 5 through to verse 7. We're not of the darkness, night or of the darkness, so let us not sleep like others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. So, Stay awake and be sober. <laughs> Stay awake and be sober. Okay, good advice. By the way, notice again the mixed metaphors here. We're not of the night nor of the darkness, and so let us not sleep, but let us keep awake and be sober. He's changed, you know, in, in the previous passage at the end of chapter 4, to, to sleep was a metaphor or euphemism for dying. Uh, that's, but here he's changing the use of that word, of that sleep idiom. No long, not here talking about death, but talking about, uh, if you like, being a, uh, not being aware of the truth of the world, of what, what's really going on in the world. He's talking to them and he's saying, Let's not sleep. Let's be spiritually aware. Let's be aware of the truth that this is God's world and he's sending his son 
the second time, and it's going to happen. And it's going to be a day of wrath from which Jesus is willing to rescue you. And so be aware. And of course, that's what being awake means here, I think. Being ready, being alert, be aware. And the idea of not being drunk, perhaps, you know, uh, people who are drunk become, become oblivious of what's around them. They're not fully conscious of what's going on in their world. Stay awake. The Greek word for uh, uh, to be awake, uh, the Greek verb here, gregorane, is the, by the way, the Greek, it's the word from which we get the English name Gregory, uh, meaning to watch or be uh, alert or uh, be awake and ready, that sort of thing. There's two names actually taken from Greek words common English names taken from Greek words in, the other, in this passage. One is Gregory, meaning to a watcher or someone who's ready and alert, or, or that sort of thing. And the other one is uh, the word Irene, meaning peace, and from which we get the English name Irene. Uh, stay awake. You know, one time our family drove uh, on, a, on a road trip when the kids were young, and we drove from, uh, where were we? Oh, um, Yellowstone. And uh, Yellowstone, and we drove to Orange County. Oh no, we I think we stayed overnight just north of somewhere of Salt Lake City, and then we decided to head back. And uh, our plan was to stop overnight in Las Vegas, and uh, we thought we'd find somewhere cheap to stay there. And when we got there, uh, it just none of the kids wanted to get out. It was a bit creepy for them. We got there late at night. It was, it was, and so. Uh, they just said, let's keep driving. And I was ready to sleep. I already had a whole day driving with four kids in the back of the van. And, and it was, and so we said that they all wanted to just go home. So they had to keep me awake. I've never had so much sugar and caffeine in my life as on that road trip. I had Heidi, my wife, sitting next to me, kind of shouting at me to stay awake, you know, and uh, put, turning the radio up and uh, feeding me more sugar and uh, more, ca- more caffeine. And uh, that's how we got home. was it not a great idea, but we did get there. How awake are you to Jesus' return? Are you ready? You know, Jesus' teaching, he uses two important words about preparedness for the second coming. One is watch and the other is wait. One is watch and the other is wait. Watching is the idea, it's the Gregory notion. It's the idea of being alert, awake, eyes open, ready for Jesus to come back. Be watching. Just like when Jesus ascended and and, and it's described in Acts chapter 1, the angel who was there said, hey, he's going to come back the same way. Be watching for Jesus' return. Keep your eyes up, in other words. But it was also waiting because there could be a delay. And that's how Jesus talks about it in, the, in a whole series of parables at the end of Matthew. How uh, you need to watch and you need to wait. You need to be patient and alert at the same time. And those two things is how we, how we approach the second coming of Christ. Alert and ready, watching and waiting patiently. Uh, so stay awake and stay sober. You know, some people get a DUI in life, right? They are living under the influence, uh, not just driving. In other words, they are living oblivious.
to what's really going on around them because metaphorically, whether, whether or not they're really drunk, metaphorically they are, are influenced by so many other things they're just not aware of the truth of, their, of the world and the truth of, of, of Jesus and the truth uh, of, this, of what's around them. And so he, he says to them, uh, let us not sleep like the others do. Let us keep awake and be sober. This is very much, by the way, uh, how Paul argues so many times. He tells you what the truth is and then tells you how to live. That you know, This is who you are. Now live, up, now live it, if you like. Uh, stay ready. He's coming like a thief in the night. You know, when I was young, Oh, uh, 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 I suppose I was a teenager, and uh, our next-door neighbors were going away on vacation, so they asked us to uh, keep an eye on their house for them while we were away. And uh, so, you know, we just we didn't expect anything to happen. It never does in that neighborhood, and we just, uh, you know, we just so we just covered. Suddenly, oh, okay, by the that was it. If I turn my head to the left, I lose sound. Okay. Uh, sorry, all you left-wing people over here. There we go. Uh, now, suddenly, in the nighttime, we heard a noise across the, si- across the fence. And my dad and I went out to investigate. And uh, there was the, the house. The street was, our street was on a, on a ridge on the top of a hill and the houses were built going down, the driveways were going down the hill uh, from the front of the, from the street towards the house. And as we walked, we walked down the driveway, you see a man coming up uh, in the middle of the night, literally a thief in the night. And he tried to brazen his way out of it. He says, what are you doing here? As if he was somehow the owner of the house, you know. And we said, what are you doing here? And we are the neighbors. And... He literally took off running, the other, ran down the side of the house, jumped over the back veranda, uh, jumped the whole story down to the garden, ran off. And, uh, and I ran around to the bottom of the street to see if we could catch him. My father went and phoned the police, uh, or he told my mother to phone the police. Uh, it's a funny story. Uh, uh, we're, we're, just, we're kind of saying, oh, when the police are going to come? When are the police going to come? And they didn't come for like an hour. And it turns out that there's a, another street in our suburb uh, that had a similar but not identical name uh, to our street. And so my mother told them the address, uh, which was 34 Horton Parade. That was where we, we lived. That was, and, and so, uh, but there was a street called Horton with a D. St- and it wasn't a parade, it was a street. But whoever at the police station was taking this down, they knew that street better because it was a bigger street. And so some poor person at 34 Horden Street had five police cars descending on them, sirens, sirens wailing and lights flashing in the middle of the night. The cops arrive two miles from where they're supposed to be. There we go. But he's going to come like a thief in the night. Be ready. I will say we were at least somewhat ready that night. Verse 7 Verses 8 to 10 now, we move on, and he says, Since we belong to the day again, let's be sober. We've had this already. 
And then he says this, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Put your armor on is what he's saying. Put your armor on. Be who you are. Since we belong to the day, let us stay sober. The present reality leads to action. And put your armor on. Or in fact, having put on. And he, he gives two items to the armor here. The breastplate, which covers the chest, and the helmet. And the breastplate is of faith and love. And the helmet is the hope of salvation. Now, we also have another armor passage in Paul, right? Remember, you probably know Ephesians 6 better, the armor of God passage. But here's a second armor passage in Paul and the thing about this armor and it's the same in Ephesians 6 is it's God's armor that's why in Ephesians 6 it calls it the armor of God uh, because it's God's own armor that's in other words it's how God is armored when he goes into battle if you go to Isaiah 59 verse 17 it says this he that is God put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. So Paul has taken that idiom and he's kind of changed it a bit. It's faith, a breastplate of faith and love and the helmet is a hope of salvation because it's looking forward to the Lord's return when he's going to rescue us from the judgment of God on that day. But it's put your armor on. How are you going to be ready? By being awake, being sober, being alert, being self-controlled and remembering to put your armor on. What does it mean, though, to put on faith, hope, and love? You see, it's, faith and love are not an actual breastplate, right? It's faith and love. It's a, it's a metaphor. It's like when you put a, if you're teaching Sunday school to the kids and you say, learn to put on the armor of God, now put on the you know, breastplate of righteousness and the belt of truth, and you do all this in front of them and sing a song about it. Just remember, it's not an actual breastplate. It's righteousness that you're putting on. And here, we have to remember, it's not, you don't have to stand in front of the mirror and put on a breastplate of faith and love every morning. It is, in fact, putting on faith and love. What does that even mean? It means, as Paul's been saying already in 1 Thessalonians, grow in faith, grow in love, and return to hope. Put your hope in the Lord Jesus Christ and in the hope of salvation. You know, in Paul, he talks about salvation. Letters of Paul are 13 letters of the Apostle Paul in the Bible. And he talks about, in those letters, he talks about salvation quite a lot. And the majority of the time, the salvation he's talking about is future salvation. It's salvation when Jesus returns, when God comes, when the day of the Lord comes, you will be saved. Now, there's also present salvation in Paul's letters as well. That's true. But there is this future salvation. It's a common theme in Paul. And we put on faith and love and hope. These are what we might call the spiritual virtues. Be. So we've talked about then being who you are. You are children of the light. Live as children of the light, right? Be sober. Be alert. Be ready. Be self-controlled. Now we want to say, in this text, be who you will be. Because in verse 9, Paul explains, verse 9 and 10, Paul explains, you know, uh, why we should put on faith, love, and hope. Because he says, because God has not destined us for wrath, 
or placed us or assigned us to wrath is better translation assigned but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ be who you will be we have hope not assigned to wrath hallelujah salvation here means rescue from wrath and judgment it's through our Lord Jesus our Messiah notice the title for Jesus here the Lord our Lord Jesus Christ or, or Messiah and it's all based on what it's all based uh, not that he's not that he's so much he likes you, you know, I'm sure he loves you, but it's it's that it's based on his death, right, for the sins of the world, who died for us so that whether we're awake or asleep, we might live with him. Verse ten. Whether we wake or sleep here, actually is changing the metaphor back to what it was at the end of chapter four. Now in this verse, sleeping means death. And so he's playing again with the language. Whether we wake or sleep, whether we live or die, we will live together with him. We shall live with him. Salvation then is rescue from and to. From wrath, from judgment, to resurrection life together with Jesus. Now, verse 11 then is our summary and conclusion. He says, therefore, and if you want to see in the Bible, a therefore, you want to know what? What it's therefore. And therefore, on the basis of everything he's just said, encourage one another and build one another up, just as indeed you are doing already. This is the promise of the parousia. It is a day of wrath. It's the day of the Lord. It's the day of judgment. But it is also the day of resurrection and rescue and salvation, a day of the hope of resurrection. We're looking forward to the hope of rescue, the hope of relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, hope in the Bible is not a wishful thinking. Hope is a confident expectation in the good things that God's bringing. It's not just, I hope so, I hope I get saved when Jesus comes back. No, it's a confident, positive hope, knowing that you are a child of the light. Can you hear me? See, one of these will work. Verse 11. Look at it in your Bible. What does it say? Encourage one another in the light of the coming judgment and the coming rescue of believers. Encourage one another to grow in faith, love, and hope in Jesus. Encourage one another that Jesus is coming back, and that's good news. That's good news. Thank you, our dear Lord Jesus Christ. We're so blessed that you have died.
died for us through your death you brought about life through your resurrection you've given us hope that you have a have rescued and will rescue us from sin and from judgment and brought us you have brought us into the light and lord that day of the lord is coming lord we can encourage one another that this is for us good news because of the death of Christ on our behalf because he's made us children of the light Lord let us not sleep like the others but be alert and be ready for the return of Jesus Christ Amen